I'm not in Atlanta, nigga. What's all right? We on live now, so we have a we giving Chris every chance to offend now <laughs> with his opinions on Waffle House. I mean, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straight up with you, right? I've been to I've been to 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 Florida, Alabama, and all that. Um, I've been to California. Got family out in San Francisco. Everybody goes wild for In and Out. In and Out was decent. I feel like In and Out is real polarizing. People either love In and Out or the people who hear about In and Out and get hyped up for it and then have it and they're like, "Oh, this is trash! I can't believe this." Everybody told me that this was dope, but In and Out was all right to me. Like the animal style and everything was decent, and I don't like sauce on on anything like that. I don't like um, condiments, so In and Out was like white, mad decent. But I've had Waffle House at least three times in my life before now, before I went to Atlanta last weekend. And it's, it's I, it's okay, man, it's okay. Their big thing is that they got waffles whenever you need it and that they stay open 24 hours. And so that's why they use that index to tell like how bad a natural disaster is. If the Waffle House is closed, then it's bad. But otherwise Waffle House is, is, is okay. What y'all need to be on in the South, what y'all need to be proud of, is Whataburger. Down in Texas and all that, Whataburger is fire. Yeah. Whataburger beats the brakes off Burger King, McDonald's, Wendy's, Kuma's Corner, um, everything except Mickey's, and um, and uh, what's my spot out in South Holland? Or is that Lansing? Shoops. Oh, shoot. Shoops is fire. And um and um the spot on 95th. Um, top. Right Ashland. Yeah, top, top notch. notch. Yeah. Top notch is yeah. Y'all don't know about top notch up here on the north side, man. <laughs> we that's that's Chris's uh fast food minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be a basketball show, but we'll let Chris. <laughs> We'll let Chris give his takes on fast food every now and then. But <laughs> Chris, Chris was just relaying his some of his highlights from his trip to Atlanta. You just your birthday just passed too, right? Yeah, that was last weekend. Um, yeah. Happy belated. That was dope. That was dope. Appreciate it, man. Thirty-three, yeah. Pippin year. Happy belated, happy belated. I wish a brother knew, so I want to send my own personal, personal. I I ain't have any. I can't have lemon pepper wings right now. <laughs> Why can't you? Is that, I'm that's, trying to yeah, cut back the on the sauce. We need the Magic City review, right? We didn't. We didn't go to Magic City, man. We we were playing rich. We weren't actually breaded up. You know, I, I we, saw, we brought I saw some video. Y'all were letting Dracos off of some, weren't you? Was that oh yeah, we went we went to the shooting range. Yeah, we went to the shooting range. We had the shot. We had the the shotgun, the clay pigeons, and whatnot. That's a that's a good way to go out as a bachelor. It was fun. It's it's fun shooting. Um, I did that in Boy Scouts too. I'm not an advocate of guns for anything else except sport like target practice. You know, no, I'm not about here to shoot sure. no deer. Ducks, animals, things like that. If you want to just shoot some, some bottles, some some clay pigeons, that's cool. That's fun. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that. No. But uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 actually we've been we've been busy quite a bit lately. It seems like our group has been. We 
just squeezing in the show here. It's been almost two weeks since our last show. It was, I wanted to get something in. I, this would be spur of the moment if we were trying to last couple of days to get the show in, but we couldn't do it. But, but uh, no, we got most of us here. I think Drew is getting an early start on Juneteenth or something. He's been he's been doing something every day this week too. I don't know, but uh, he's not, he's not here tonight. But uh, we wish him the best as always. But we uh, like I said, just getting in the show. Um, we got a couple games tonight: the Nets and um, and Bucks first game in Milwaukee. Hopefully. That'll be some type of game. We'll, we're we're going to allow ourselves to watch the, the second half of that game at least. Hopefully it, it won't be a 49-point blowout by that time. But, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's, it's been interesting uh, this second round. But like I said, two weeks ago, the last show we did, I was I was sort of needling our, our, our friend and guest, uh, Dwayne Rankin, uh, me and – me and Josh was on with him last uh, the week before last Friday, and um, I was saying like I, I really thought at the time that it was gonna be Dallas in in the Lakers ending up in I was I was sort of needing them when I said them, but I I kind of you know Dallas and the Lakers were both up in their series, they were looking strong, but you know like like Jay and Too Short said it was all good just a week ago, and. You know, a lot, a lot has changed in the Western Conference. Now the Suns look like they're the strongest team out there. You know, the Nuggets, who were able to overcome Portland, are looking like they're almost out the door. And Utah, you know, like I said, outside the Suns are looking just as strong. But uh, you know, in the East, you got, like I said, the Nets have really shown themselves in their first two games against the Bucks, uh, Philly, and Atlanta's looking kind of up in, you know, up in the air right now. Their first game in Atlanta's going to be tomorrow night. I don't know what you guys, you know, what you guys, what, what has caught your you guys' attention over the past week or so? Uh, Milwaukee for me, for sure. I, I apologize if I took that one from you, Josh, because I think that's more interesting um, than, I think that's more surprising than the Phoenix-Denver um, gap at the moment. And I'm surprised because I thought I prepared myself for another disappointing Bucks playoff run. And it it, it doubly sucks to me because I like Giannis a lot. Like for for being a regional rival, he's got a fantastic story. He came up from a lot of bullshit the way that um, foreigners and I, I believe African foreigners were treated in Greece, like Giannis and his brothers were out um, getting money as, as best they possibly could. Like if y'all haven't heard the story, I know I know y'all too have, but if anybody's listening hasn't heard the story, like they didn't like him on the basketball team that he was trying to play with until every until people saw his potential and they're like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, we can rock with him as he's Greek now. So he's built he built himself up. And he, by extension, built that team up from bedrock. And they have been a candidate for the finals the past three seasons and have not made it to the finals in the past three seasons, including this one. 
And right now it doesn't look like they're going to. Every time we think that the Bucks have enough, it turns out they're they're less than. You know, they they had Giannis and a Burgeon and Chris Middleton, and that was about it. And they got ran. They were up two nothing on the Raptors, and it was their time, and then they lost four straight. And then they, they replaced Eric Bledsoe with Drew Holiday. Um, they got White Dante, who was who has been largely absent. They flipped Tony Snell for for better pieces. And and now here we are again. Like at this point, I know so many Wisconsin people. I want the I want the Bucks to actually succeed. Like I want to hear them trash talk, so they have a reason to trash talk, man. And and here we go again. And I know it's the Nets. I know it's the young Death Star. But it's disappointing. Like with Phoenix, you got Chris Paul, who is a legendary playoff killer, right? At the very least, you expect him to do things in the first, in the second round, to what's still a fairly young team that's also missing their number two, their number two player. But Giannis is a two-time MVP. Even if he's going up against Kyrie and KD, like. You can't get blown out like that back-to-back nights or back-to-back games. You you just can't do it. It's, it's disappointing. I'm disappointed. I, I mean, I would I agree. I agree with everything you say. I, the only thing for me is this. I, I just – I don't understand why they played the way they did in those first two games. Like, the the – the three-point numbers alone were just baffling to me. And when they had they and at the same time in the first game, they had like a, a record number of just about of, of, of points in the post. They had like over 70 points in the post in that first game. You know, you would think that you would play up to your strengths if you were, you know, Milwaukee. Everybody coming into the series was like, you know, Milwaukee's got the advantage on in the interior. They got the advantage overall with size. They got a long team that they could out-rebound, they could do whatever in the post pretty much and score because the Nets don't have any type of rim protection. But they they went and lived and died by their by their uh, long-range shooting. And it, it, just, it, it just really is, like I say, baffling to me that, you know, them losing two games in Brooklyn is not a bad thing. They could have They could have lost those games in any way, any number of ways. But like you say, like you say, Chris, the way that they lost is pretty much the disappointing thing. And like I say, to be down the way that they've been in both games, but particularly that second game, that is un- inexcusable in the playoff series, especially in a, in a second round playoff series after you just you know had the success that you had in the first round against the Heat. It, it doesn't make any sense. So I, I'm with you, man. Like, you know, I, I have my ties to Wisconsin as well. And I want to see, you know, I and really in my heart, I do want to see the Bucks do well. But, you know, how many lessons do you have to, to learn in the playoffs? You know, we, we, we've all seen teams in the playoffs. It's pretty much the recurring narrative of the NBA playoffs. You, you have to learn how to win in the playoffs. You have to have heartbreak. And but usually over two or three years that you formulate yourself into something that becomes a championship team 
if you have the right pieces and everything. It seems that the Bucks had the right pieces right now coming out of that Miami series. They had the draw that they have, of course. The Nets are the Nets. We know what they can offer, and they're proving just how dangerous they can be. But if you're the Bucks, you have to with you have to have some some sort of more wherewithal than what you're offering. And you know, hopefully tonight they'll start showing that. If they could show that in the next two games and even the series, then we'll have the series pretty much that we expect coming into it, you know, possibly a seven gamer between, you know, arguably the two best teams in the East. But if they don't do anything tonight, then that's it for them. They're done. Yeah. And then that's one of the biggest things that we've always knocked about the Bucks, right? <laughs> the fact that when it comes to the, they're a great regular season team, but when it comes to the playoffs in some way, shape or form, they're going to stumble no matter what round it is, they have the history of losing in the first round. They have a history of losing in the second round. They have a little history. And in, in, in these past, you know what? They really can go some, really have a good chance to go to the finals. And there's the same reasons as to why they go through that same cycle. Horrible coaching, especially down the stretch with adjustments. And Giannis only taking them as far as he can go. At the end of the day, when you center your offense around someone that is has a great offensive game in the paint, but it's only shooting maybe thirty percent outside of your outside of the paint, you're going to struggle in this league, especially in, in the fact that you know with Milwaukee, he, although you have great pieces in the PJ Tucker picking up the PJ Tucker's and holidays and as lead players, when you're playing against a whole other monster on top of that, those outside. You need your superstar to step up in a way that, you know, he has arrived and that he and that you know that he can beat that number one guy to actually take that leap. There's question marks with Giannis. And we always have question marks with Giannis about can he be that number one guy to improve his game on a year-to-year basis and put the Bucks as a whole in a better position to take your team past these early exit rounds. And he hasn't been able to do that. And this is another example of that. His game is continuously to get exposed. He hasn't improved. He probably needs to. And at the same time, the philosophy that Mike Budenholzer has is completely different probably than what they even need to run anyways. Because of that interior, they need to be having the basketball in the, in the paint. They need to be able to operate around that mid-range where there's size and it's easier to score on a more efficient basis. They're continuing to shoot threes. Like it's like they're, like they're the Warriors. Like it doesn't make sense. And yeah. and my and my bookholder has always been criticized of not just offensive lack of adjustments, but defensive as well. And they show it showed each year, and it's showing right now. Which is when that's why you have the rumor talks about oh he's not what we made. He wasn't supposed to make it the past two seasons because of the same situations that the Bucks are currently in now. So as much as Chris says, I love Giannis. Giannis, I want Giannis to eventually take that next step. But he gotta take it to the next level in the offseason. And you gotta get rid of it. You gotta get some new you gotta get a new leadership in there. You gotta get a new coach. Someone that actually fits what the Bucks are about. And my Buddha Holder just isn't that guy. And you see continuously year after year, he's getting out coaching these early rounds. And for this year to happen. Especially against a Steve Nash, who I'm not knocking at all. Steve Nash was a hell of a player. He has a hell of a staff. But I mean, you're talking about a rookie head coach who's never touched a head coaching clipboard in his life until now. 
that 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 shows how much of an impact that not just the players that he has, but the talent, but that, as far as the talent that he's working with, but the experience and the coaching experience he's surrounded himself with to make whatever adjustments that are necessary to put his team, the Brooklyn Nets, in a better position to walk the buck teams in a way that they have, especially without one of the big threes in James Harden. Yeah. Like, I'll, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to give Kirk credit, but like I, I think you mentioned the depth of their coaching staff overall. They have a lot of experience uh, throughout their coaching staff. I think it's, I, I think you could put any, you could put a number of rookie head coaches in that position that the Nets have, and uh, they, they probably would do well, you know, with those coaches and with those players more uh, importantly, like. I, you know, I heard like Bomani Jones speak to this earlier this week. Like they hardly run any plays on offense. Like they just, they just run out of ball like it's the Rucker or something. And because you know, they have the talent that they have, they can just, you know, they can manifest what they need to manifest on offense. You know, pretty much starting from any point, starting from any, you know, dribbler, you know, anybody who's bringing up the court, you know, and and like. It, 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 you know them not having James is a big deal, of course, but they can they can absorb that because of the overall talent that they have. And we got to that point. You got to give it up to those second line players who've been stepping up this series, like Blake Griffin, who's you know shown so much more life uh, than his game that we didn't that people didn't necessarily expect him to have at this point. But uh, you know people like Mike James and. Of course, uh, Harris, you know, has always been a pretty reliable shooter out there. And, you know, they they just got a deep-ass team with so much talent. out. And pretty much the only thing that they don't have, again, is that interior, you know, presence on defense. But outside of that, they pretty much have anything, everything and everything that you can want in a team. And, um, you, know, I'm, you know, as far as Budahosa goes, he yeah, he should – he should be coaching with more urgency. You know, he should be coaching for his job, and his job should be on the line. If they fall in this series, especially in a four or five game loss like that, he's he's got to be out the door because he's not having the influence on his team that he should have to allow them to do the things that they need to do to adjust. Like you say, Josh, adjust within game. And just to stop doing things that go against their better nature, and you know, such as you know the distribution of shots from outside to inside, they're not doing the right things by us, by us uh, themselves, and you know it's leading them to being embarrassed. So, yeah, if if things don't turn around and, and turn around quickly, then yeah, some big changes are going to have to be made. But at the same time, I still think that they have a team. Right at this time, you know, you can add another guy to it, of course, you know, another number two. But Giannis is going to be Giannis. And I don't know how much more you could ask of him outside of the adjustment part and the intuitive, being intuitive enough to adjust your game and, and again, play to your strengths instead of, you know, allowing uh, the other team to dictate you, especially a team that isn't really defensive-oriented. You know, why are you letting them dictate your game when, you know, they're not, they're not locked down guys over there on Brooklyn? So, yeah, 
I think this is more of a mental thing or you know an intelligence thing. I think that needs to be um, evolved with with China. It's not necessarily a physical thing. So you know, I'm not. I'm never. Gonna, I'm not going to be expecting Giannis to hit forty percent from any range outside of the post. You know, he's just not going to do that. But he needs to shoot in that post more. That's what he needs to do. I think it's it's weird, right? Because this is a this is the age of the NBA where we see the guys who were uh, quote unquote unicorns, utility guys, do it all type guys like Jordan and um, Jerry West and, and Oscar Robertson and and LeBron. Those guys are more are more commonplace because of the fact I think that the three pointer, the long distance shot is more not just more involved but more necessary. So guys have to add that into their arsenal earlier rather than just being um, hard chargers who can slash and get to the basket anytime they want, uh, like Rose. Like Rose had to add that three-pointer into his arsenal quick. Zion was a pretty decent three-point shooter when he came in. With Giannis, he increased his percentage 5% over the last, uh, from two years ago to now. Yeah. But that brought him up from 25 to 30. And like Josh said, that's not going to cut it. Because they don't, have, they can back off him when they want. Giannis might have a four for six night for deep, but that's that's the flip of a three headed coin that he'll get that. And you, and and you also have and we, and we can't. You also having like Middleton shooting eight for nineteen or something like that. You know, he's not that's having not awful, but it's it's not like if he's shooting, he, he may be shooting. You know, I, I got I, I can get the numbers up, but he's had some bad numbers from three, and he's had bad numbers overall shooting. So if you you have to get more from Middleton as well, you have to get more from your your sub, supporting players because the Nets are getting stuff from their supporting players. The big guys are scoring, but they're getting their supporting players in the game too, and they like that's why they're scoring so much points. And out doing uh, uh, Milwaukee like they are in the last part. Yeah, I mean at this at this point, you just you just gotta hope that the team has enough pride to give to Brown and give at least one game in the for the rest of this series when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets because we got two games at home now. Uh, as much as they have been a supposedly, uh, you know, average road team over the, over the season, they show up on a road where they need to show up. They showed that in the Boston series. They can do it in Milwaukee. And as long as you have Kate, you know, Kevin Durant and Kate, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on your team, anything is possible as far as how bad of a beatdown you're going to get or how close of a escape, escape you're going to win. And also, pretty much how bad you and how and pretty much also how they can even lose. Um, depending on how we see how put up or shut up. Game three is going to be the, the game that's going to define whether or not Milwaukee Bucks are going to just pack their bags home that, that much early, or they're going to at least extend it for at least another two another couple of nights because at this point, you know, it's it's time for the superstars to step up and, and play the way that they need to play. Giannis needs to have a big game. I mean, Chris Middleton needs to have a big game as well. Drew needs to have a big game. All, and all the supporting cast need to have big games and need to show up 
But this is going to be a defining statement game that Giannis needs to have, especially since he has been demoralized defensively too, going against Kevin Durant. This, this, it, it, the chatter that's been taking place on, you know, KD coming out and saying that, oh, don't compare me to Giannis and things of that sort. Like, but, well, yeah, he, he, he said he didn't say that. Well, Jay, I think uh, Jay Williams says, says something about that, and Katie responded uh, with that whole situation. But, um, yeah, with that stuff going out, now everybody's talking about how Giannis is pretty much this weak boy. Like, you got to you, you, you gotta show some pride and, and pretty much show what you're made of. And this is the type of opportunity for him to do so. Yeah. I, I, I said, yeah, I said K, KD says he didn't say that. I don't think he's gonna admit that he said that he said that, but uh, I don't I don't see why Jay would necessarily lie in that situation. But Jay's got to learn too. Don't you don't run with all that stuff to just because you on ESPN now you got to fi- fill out three hours in the morning, you know, with uh, Keyshawn Johnson, you know, running his mouth in the air, you know, uh, you got to you got to you don't have to, yeah, you don't have to. And 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 in and in most cases you shouldn't, because now he's gonna he's end up burning a bridge with with KD, that you know that would you know he's supposed to be his guy, now he's gonna mess up his relationship with him just because he you know what what did Keyshawn say? I not just mess I just I just threw Keyshawn in there just <laughs> but that is that is the situation though they're, they're on they're on they're doing a morning show together you know Keyshawn they don't. Lack for mouth, you know. You wanna you wanna step up and and, and match his mouth. So, but anyway, you know we you know, we talk about the do or die situation that the the Bucks are in. Do we feel that same way about Denver? And you know Denver down 0-2 now. They got whooped pretty well in that game too as well. But they you know they lost two games on the road to the higher-seeded team. But, again, they have the MVP. And, you know, uh, what are we what are we looking at in regards to Denver and their prospects in that team uh, against, uh, you know, the Suns, I'm, you know, you definitely got to give the Suns their props because they were in a bad way for a time with the Lakers. You know, the Lakers, you know, Anthony Davis – Nobody betrayed him again, and that that's that gave the opening for the Suns to get back in their series. I'm impressed too with the way that Chris Paul has, you know, recovered from his stuff and his arm, you know, the arm thing, whatever. You know, I I think this could be a time where you know we have that long history with him of, of his playoff injuries and everything, and him coming close to these moments. Where he can get over the hump with teams, and you know, like I said, his body betraying him at those inopportune times or moments. But you know, I think this may be the year where the basketball gods are, are lightening up on him, and you know, they they let him they let him get a taste of his mortality in that first round. But you know, if he if, if that's it for him, and he's able to go through the rest of these playoffs, you know, with a clean bill of health. That's gonna be hell for the, the rest of that Western Conference. So you know they they the Suns have asserted uh, themselves in their first two games here. Do, do we think that they have a, as good of a lock as maybe those Nets have 
on uh, the Bucks or maybe even more of a lot. Go for it. Go for it, Josh. I'm, I'm checking something I wanted to see first. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's put it this way. I got to see what the Clippers do with the Utah Jazz Because Chris Paul, I'm not, been proven every team that he's been on that he is pretty much the elevating factor between winning and losing and relevancy. He's done it on every team and he should have been an MVP this year, um, but he wasn't. And you're seeing it in the playoffs. He's, the way he led that, led, led the Suns to the, you know, past the Lakers and now he's leading this team and they're playing at an exceptionally high, exceptionally high rate against this Nuggets team. And part of it is expected, <clears throat> excuse me, in ways because Jamal Murray's not there. Um, so you have the MVP and Jokic, which you know well deserved um, of that of that award. But at the same time, you're missing a point guard that was was younger and has proven that you know he can you know come through in the playoffs in the big moments, and he's not there guarding guarding. You know, Chris Paul, he's that's the challenger of that point guard position that you're lacking in. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised Chris Paul is having his way. I mean, he's always had his way in certain, you know, playoffs as far as his play and, um, and the teams that he's been around and elevating their games. But I, what we're seeing, what I'm seeing from this, I think the special thing with, with the Suns is the fact that is the emergence of Devin Booker in these playoffs and how he's played with Chris Paul. Um, I think if anything, that's one of the biggest things of Devin Booker leading that charge of showing the skill set that we've been wanting for the longest to see in the playoffs and pairing that with the Chris Paul to help elevate the DeAndre Aydins, to help elevate the Mikel Bridges, to help elevate the Cameron Johnsons, to elevate campaign. I mean, you know, campaign literally has a campaign now. <laughs> Like the <laughs> big thing that you cannot overlook when it comes to the run that these sons are making and Chris Paul is leading. Um, and because of that, and the fact that they don't have more work, I think it's going to play a big role into how this series turns out. Now, of course, Denver, you know, think of this first two home games, they won, they won. We'll see what they do in Denver. Um, and, and we'll see how Denver responds. But, you know, that's. The way they won those games, especially the second game, in 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 that in that fashion, and you know we gotta respect the fact that Denver still has some growing pains they gotta go through, when especially with Jamal Murray being out. So I'm interested to see what happens with that series. I think the Suns will eventually take it, but I also say as far as how deep they'll go, is because the Jazz are the Jazz are real. You know, Donovan Mitchell is real, and he has emerged, especially yeah. that last game, dropping 30. Dude is real. And if the Clippers don't come out and, you know, handle their business per se and supposedly challenge better this Utah Jazz team, you're looking at a conference finals that may look between the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, and that's something we never thought we'd ever heard of or see since probably the 90s? I don't know, right? So it's like, 
it, it's interesting to see how the emergence of these teams like the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns, who were once irrelevant, now emerge into this relevant. Yeah, yeah, that's success. and all through at those times. Yeah, like what well, you yeah you mentioned tonight. That's definitely uh, Utah and Phoenix has had more of a, a mid '90s flair to it, as far as uh, yeah. you know what could you know those teams that they had back then that you could have seen that then. I mean, I think just coming into this season, picking Utah and Phoenix to go into the to go into the uh, Western Conference Finals would have been a reach. So uh, yeah, they they came. They both of these teams have been fantastic this year. They come out to those top two seeds, and you know I you know I, you could take my picks with a grain of salt. You know I'm not as bad as Barkley with his guarantees, but like I said, I I was leaning more towards you know almost two weeks ago I was leaning more towards Dallas and uh in L.A. the Lakers. I was thinking at a point that. All four of the top seeds in the West. The West has, you know, the West has been in a lot of ways a crapshoot because, you know, we don't have the shared history with the teams that are left that we had that we've had with the teams that have been eliminated. You know, uh, I, I saw something about uh, the last eleven uh, champions, the last eleven, the teams who won championships the last eleven years. None of them are at have made uh, this point of the playoffs. None, none of them are alive at this point of the playoffs. You know, you you look at the teams that and look at go up up and down these teams that have left. You know, Utah made the finals last in the in the nineties. Of course, we know Phoenix in ninety three. Uh, you know, uh, Clippers have never been to the conference finals. Uh, Denver has never made it past the conference finals. The Nets never won. You know. Three, I think, was the last time they were in the finals. Bucks, the seventies was the last time they were in the finals. Uh, you no, know, uh, 01, last time it was in the conference finals. Uh, Philly, you know, Philly has been. Uh, I think 01 was the last time they went to the finals. It was the last time with the finals. I think it was the last time they went to the conference finals as well. And uh, the Hawks, you know, they been they went to the conference finals once. Against Cleveland not too long ago, but they haven't had a history of winning either. So, you know, this is a this is a wild playoffs in general. We're going to see a new team and new talents individually rise to the occasion. And you know, whether you're one of those people who obsess about ratings and stuff, you know, that may be an effect on the NBA in regards to them not being able to lean on established stars like LeBron and, uh, you know, uh, and uh, Steph Curry and stuff. But, you know, I don't really care about that stuff. I want to see who wins. I want to see the teams and the players who emerge as champions, you know, act as such. And I want to see those new talents emerge. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who does that. Who, who would it, will it be? Devin Booker? Will it be? Uh, you know Mitchell? Will it be? Uh, you know Jokic now the new MVP or Rudy Gobert? You know who's won the third Defensive Player of the Year? You know who's going to emerge? You know, or, or, or will it be? You know that that pairing in 
in uh, in Brooklyn now as it is. Like, who's going to be those defining stars of this playoff uh, run now? Because they're not going to be the same guys necessarily that we're used to. You know, you, you know, KD is, is a reliable guy, but he's not on that LeBron level. You know, and or that stuff level. He's you know he's his own guy, but you know it'll be it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, my only my only thought of takeaway is that Denver's defense has to get better, and that's gonna be a problem for them because just checking their stats, they're kind of mid they're middle of the pack defensively, um, especially at the three point line, and you got a team that thrives shooting threes with Devin Booker. Chris is a mid-range guy, but he's four for five in the series so far. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is six for 13. Um, and Michael Bridges, man. Uh, from all the Eric Collins hype that we got, we saw way more of Miles Bridges in the second half of this season. But Michael Bridges is doing a hell of a job right now on Denver in terms of just being a, a guy who can hit shots from beyond the arc. I looked at the stats. And of the players who have gotten significant minutes in the series so far between Denver and Phoenix, and that totals nine guys, only three of those guys are shooting under 500. Some of those guys have only taken 10 shots, like Dario Saric and Cameron Johnson. Even Cam, even Cam, uh, our man Champagne and Campaign only has 13. But Cam's hit half of his shots. Torrey Craig is just below 500. Crowder's nine for 18. And then you got Aiden, Booker, Bridges, and Paul, the main options on offense, who have got, taken over 20 shots and hit, and nobody's hit less than 13. Denver's main strength was that they had Jokic and guys like Millsap, and then, you, you know, your perimeter defenders. Even Monte Morris is a small dude, but he, I think, was doing okay at keeping guys out of the paint. And so now you're really mixing things with Monte Morris and Facundo Campazzo. And that's not a perimeter defensive unit at the one. They have to figure out a way to, if they can't defend twos, never mind threes, and if they can't get to the foul line more, nobody during the season averaged more than six foul, uh, foul shots a game. It might be a wrap quick. It might not even be a, a quote-unquote gentleman sweep. And I know that might sound like a hot take, but statistically, that's unsustainable, right? You got to get to the free throw line in the playoffs if your if your shots aren't falling. Yeah, I mean, it it, it almost makes you wonder, you know, how they even survived against Portland. But you know, the answer there is, is that Portland, of course, is is horrible, even more worse at defense than Denver. Is. So yeah, they were your gunning teams. Yeah, they, they, it was just. Who's who gets to 140 first in those in that series? But uh, Suns are much more capable of of shutting you down than uh, than anybody pretty much that's that's left except well on, on the perimeter. Uh, you know, uh, Clippers got a lot going for them, but the Suns play a, a nice brand of team defense, and you know, like you say, they they don't have any the 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 old the the old guys from uh, Colossal or whatever his name is the old rookie you know he's he's not Jamal Murray and uh, you know Monte's not doing what he's what you know he normally could do this 
this that fall off from Murray is just so key in this series. I think the matchups are, uh, is just not a good matchup for Denver, unfortunately. So I, I think they're just as much on the edge of, of failure as uh, the Bucks are, maybe even worse, I would say. But uh, you know, we'll see what they what they could do. I, you know, Josh, you mentioned the game tonight, the game two with, with Utah and the Clips. I, I think that could be a very interesting series. That, that game one was just really riveting, the way that they kept going back and forth. I think there's a lot of firepower on both sides. Donovan Mitchell, though, was was really, uh, you know, uh, outstanding, though. And they got to find a way to contain him or, or keep him off his game somehow or, or just hope that he shoots he gets into a shooting slump somehow because if he keeps gunning the way that he's that he's been doing, you know they can they can play up to the Clippers level and above even without Conley and Conley's Conley it looks like he's gonna be out for this game too as well, you know if they can play the way that they played on in game one without Conley that's scary for the Clippers, but the Clippers don't seem to be scared in any way they they didn't play scared in that first game. And, uh, you know, I thought they had a lot more mentally that was wrong with them, you know, when they when they got behind in that Dallas series. But they proved a lot to me in the way that they closed that out. Uh, and they proved more, more than anything, they proved to be that they got probably the best guy, the most reliable guy in, in the whole playoffs right now in, in Kawhi. You really can't underscore his ability to – to really get that old school way, uh, you know, grit grit out a win, you know, to to get a win almost by strength of mind as much as anything, strength, just strength of will, I should say, uh, and and you know, will his team to a win in the way that like Jordan and, and a lot of old school guys would. So, you know, Kawhi, as long as they got Kawhi going, I'm not going to undercut. Or under, uh, you know, underscore the uh, underrate, I should say the uh, the Clippers. But Utah is tough, and the great thing about Utah, even though you know probably about a third of the that crowd may throw the N word at you at any given time, <laughs> they they really do have a great home court advantage, and they have a real home court advantage, unlike just about any other team left in the playoffs, like. And that's traditional for them because the crowd that you would see in game one are pretty much the crowds that you saw in 97 and 98 when they were trying to intimidate the Bulls when they came into town. So they there's, there's something about that fan base. You know, like I said, they, they're problematic, but they're loyal to that team. And, and when the playoffs come, they show out and, and you know, with their noise and their uh, theatrics and stuff, you know, a lot like a, a – a Duke, but on the pro level or something, you know? Yeah. And I also think with Donovan Mitchell, you know, you got, you got, you got so many to look up there too. That's actually going to these games and supporting and even coaching them on the sideline and D Wade. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. yeah you, you got that on a consistent basis on your hip. The sky's the limit for Donovan Mitchell. And what this jazz team's going to look like moving forward. Cause that's cause if, if, if Donovan Mitchell wanted to learn from anybody else, D-Wade is the perfect guy to do it. They have such similar skill set. Point. Donovan Mitchell has a better jump shot or three-point shot than D-Wade ever had. 
So combining that with that skill set mm-hmm. in today's NBA, that's scary. And exploiting that on a consistent basis with Donovan Mitchell really figuring out what the NBA playoff is like and what it takes to really get to that next level. Yeah. The Clippers got to have a lot on their hands, but Paul George got to step up too. The other surrounding players got to step up too in order, to, in order for them to, uh, to pull this out. Because. Yeah, they're, they're really. They've shown why they're not a joke all year long. Right. It really was fortunate that Wade got involved with that team, you know, given the the already the connection that people were making between him and Donovan, you know, the comparisons and all, like, you know, for him to be a part of that team now, that's going to really uh, enhance and enrich uh, Mitchell's experience there, I think, for as long as he wants to stay there. But, you know, that's probably – uh, if it was, if they didn't have that change in ownership, he probably would be another guy in a couple of years who everybody was wanting to, wanting to ship out of uh, you know Utah. But he may stay there for a long time and and be comfortable with it. You know, with uh, Dwayne Wade, you know, being in his in his life as a part owner. There. So yeah, we we'll see how it goes. And and you know, could. Utah be in the whole new era of a uh, of winning that they have even that they haven't even had before. You know, they could this could be an unprecedented era for them coming up. But uh, right, right quick though, I want to you know want to jump into some sky talk. Uh, we got a uh, you know a little bit about eleven minutes here. You know, we're gonna uh, pretty much wrap things up by seven. But uh, with with the other series that we haven't talked so much about. Uh, you know, if you guys had any thoughts on those, uh, uh, again, the uh, the Hawks and 76ers. And, um, you know, we well, we have talked a bit now on the Jazz and Clippers, but, you know, what, what are you guys are leaning to in regards to the, you know, just, you know, let's, let's just put it out there. What are you guys are leaning to in, in, in regards to the conference final matchups as you see it at the moment? I think the Sixers are going to pull it out, not because of youth or anything like that. I just think they're finally they finally got hard. They finally got hardened, man, and not James Harden. Uh, Want to make sure everybody understands that I'm not misspeaking. The losses, the 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 missteps, the the shortcomings hardened them. Yeah. And is Doc one is Doc Rivers' first year, and I feel like that's usually when he's been best recently, and, and two. They've had their full squad, and, and they just – it just feels different. It just kind of feels different for them. Ben Simmons was an MVP, DPOY candidate. Joel Embiid was an MVP candidate. And even when they were good, even when that Hawks team took the Raptors to the brink and was that close, I don't think they were that good as they are now. Well, that was a, that was a whole different team, yeah. That's true. That's yeah. also true. But I mean, even even so, like that was the best iteration of the Sixers that we'd seen with Embiid uh, to that point, and they had always been exciting. They'd always been kind of the talk of the town. But oh, you said when the Seventy Sixers took the Raptors? No, I said the Hawks. Yeah, I missed said the, I said the Hawks. Okay, yeah. that was my fault. Um, the this is the best iteration of the Hawks that we've seen with Joel Embiid um, at the pivot, and I think they overwhelmed the Hawks just. Not not necessarily overcome them, 
because John Collins has to prove that he's returning to the form that made him a statistical darling. And, and Kevin Huerter could be improved upon. He's a good player. He's proven himself a good player, but um, by no stretch. But I think he could be, there, there's a better person to be had unless this isn't his final form. And so with just Trey Young, in terms of who can just take over a game, I, I don't think that Atlanta could really overcome Philadelphia. And then on the other side, like I said, if I think it's I think it's the Nets. I think it's the Nets, bro. And that's gonna be a nice East Coast, uh former New Jersey, New York rivalry game. I mean Yo, the yeah, Amtrak. They're still, still pretty close there, yeah. Bro, like f- to get from Barclays Center to Wells Fargo with the Amtrak and the trains probably takes you two hours, maybe three. That's crazy to think about. So I think it's Nets and six. I think it's Nets and Sixers, and I think it goes six. I don't know who wins yet. But I think those are your two teams in the East. <laughs> well, that's, that's nice you threw out the games, but not the, the winner. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to put myself out there. You, you didn't have to do either yet, but I, I'm glad that you, you threw out the game. That's interesting. But uh, I'm with you, though. I think I don't think Atlanta's reached its final form yet. Like Again, like we talk about teams having to learn through their playoff experiences. Atlanta's sort of just getting there, and I think they 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 probably gonna need a year or two more of seasoning. But you know they got a lot of talent. They've shown their ability to get out on teams and really surprise them. And you know they have so much shooting on that team is ridiculous. But they also let teams back in. They let the Knicks back in on some games, and they you know they that game one they let. Uh, you know, like Philly back in, and you know, it's, I just don't expect them to really have the the wherewithal to win four games against that Philly team, uh, if, unless Embiid you know suffers some type of bad injury and is and has to uh, you know step out of the series. But if he's if he's able to play full time going forward, then they should be able to to have enough to beat uh, the Hawks. And you know, I'm I'm withholding my opinion a little bit on the Nets and the Bucks, but it's hard to see the Nets giving up this series. Uh, out of respect for the Bucks, I'm still giving them a chance, you know, outside of what happens tonight. If 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 if, if they, you know, drop a turn tonight, then it's over. But, you know, if they're able to win tonight, I still think that we're looking at at least a six or seven game series there. You know, but you still got to sort of favor the Nets at this point. On the West, I came into I came into the the second round liking Denver and uh, the Clips actually, but uh, you know you got to go with the Suns right now, and I don't think I still think the Clippers got a good chance in that series. I think it's going to be a a very competitive series against Utah, and you know the Clippers. They're not afraid of playing on the road. They, you know, I, I just, I just think that we, we're going to see more from them in this series, and it's going to be 
uh, pretty tight the, the entire way with them. I, you know, I'll stick with the Clippers as of now in that series. But, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, you know, it, either way. Like I said, because of these teams that we have and these new talents that are getting merged into things, we we, we the matchups have been all there's been an energy to them, and now. Uh, you know, we're going to see some some really interesting things, uh, new things uh, develop in these playoffs that uh, we haven't seen in recent years. Because again, those same storylines that we've relied on for years now have, uh, you know, they're pretty much out the window. So it's, it's, uh, there's been some new shares coming through. I'm I'm pretty much in, in agreement with uh, what everyone's saying. Um, I got. I still have, I think Brooklyn's gonna pull it off. Um, I think Philly's gonna pull it off. But I do think it's gonna be a Brooklyn Philly Eastern And in the West, I think we're gonna end up seeing a Utah Jazz and, and Phoenix Suns finals, Eastern or Western Conference Finals. I, I do believe that's gonna happen. And that's gonna be interesting to watch for sure. You're talking about Chris Paul against Mike Conley. You talk if Mike Conley can stay healthy, you talk about Devin. Booker against matchups we've been wanting, especially since the bubble, with with the way Devin Booker helped carry that Suns team in the bubble, and how Donovan Mitchell emerged in that bubble as that guy for the Utah Jazz. Um, that's going to be an exciting series to watch. I hope it does happen. I would not be surprised if the Clippers win. Um, I'll be surprised if Denver does, but I won't be surprised if the Clippers win just because of the experience. In my letter there, who, like Paul mentioned earlier, is one of the most consistent players, especially throughout this playoffs. I need Paul George. I need Paul George to step up, though, man. I need Paul George to take over the reins and really bring this, reel this team in, especially offensively, um, to aid in Kawhi, to aid Kawhi Leonard to make sure that the, the team is being put in the best position to win every game, every night. Um, and but you know what? I could see, I could see him being Pippen like too, and where his impact could be more on the defensive end, and yeah. he gives he gives you enough on offense. But he, I think he really has to assert himself on the perimeter on defense. And you know, if he had, if that means taking on Mitchell on some key possessions, he may have to do that, or he or take on. You know, like, or shut down somebody opposed to to Griffin, be it Connolly or, or Bogdanovich or Clarkson. You know, he's got to he's got to impart he's got to impart uh, impose himself in some way uh, on, on defense or offense. If he can't do it on offense, he got to do it on defense. If they're going to really take control of that series at any point, yeah, I I, I completely agree and. We'll just see how, like you said, we'll just see how this thing goes. But you talk, but but make no mistake. No matter who gets in this in these finals, Trey Young's arrived, and, you know, and it's, it's a matter of time until he gets to that upper upper echelon of the playoffs, man. And when he does, it's gonna be special. And for him to do it in Atlanta with the history Atlanta has, it's gonna be special to see. Yeah, yeah. Once he once he shit talk the MSG crowd, they got their new, they got their twenty first century Reggie Miller, bro. That's gonna be a worthwhile battle for years and years and years, as long as he stays in Atlanta, which isn't a, which isn't guaranteed anymore. The way you had guys like uh, Reggie stay in Indiana, 
Um, Trey might take his talents elsewhere at some point, but just knowing what that was is, um, I think, what gets lost to casual fans and to even some true basketball fans about the playoffs and about the top-heavy nature of the NBA is that these first and second round games with the non-top seeds is where you get a lot of storylines and things that make the game fun. Like you have that Bulls-Celtics series, and the Celtics were a top-flight team, so that's not necessarily the same, but they weren't locks for the championship in, in any in any sense, and that was Rose's coming out party, right? Um, these past few years with Portland, Denver, Portland, Utah, Denver, Utah, all of those series out west with the young guys coming up with Lillard, Mitchell, Jokic, Murray all made their names, and now you have Trey Young, just like Josh said, he's arrived. He's put his foot in this NBA, and it tastes better for him. Yeah, definitely. Definitely Trey is going to be a force for years to cover the playoffs. You could say the same about a Luka Doncic, but, you know, I, I think his 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 organization may be failing him. And it's interesting, you know, given the, the way that they both came into the league, traded for each other and everything. And, you know, I, I, there, there was some Dallas talk I wanted to do this week, but we had a guest that uh, we, we couldn't get uh, – you know, we, we we changed some of our plans. We uh, sort of messed up with his plans. So, but uh, we we gonna get him on next week. Uh, my, my man Landon Buford. We'll try to get him on next week and talk about, uh, you know, because he's set down there in Texas in the Dallas area. Uh, that's something that's been interesting to me uh, as uh, in the past week or so for a couple of reasons. But we'll we'll talk about that next week. But. Um, you know, we've talked we talked quite a bit on the you know, got giving you about an hour on these NBA playoffs. Uh, you know, wanted wanted to give a quick couple minutes on the sky. Uh, you know, you know, Chris, they had a seven game losing streak that they finally were able to get off of on uh, Wednesday with a win over the fever. Not necessarily one of the powers in the league, but uh a team that, you know, you you know, if you if you have that win there available to you, you get it. And that, you know, of course, the most important thing is that Candace Parker finally uh, gets on the court and gets on the court at Wintrust. And uh, you know, what what are, you, what are your thoughts, right, right, quick on them? And you know, uh, can they turn things around uh, sooner rather than later? It's it's tough because it's such an up and down season with so many breaks. And, you know, never mind the injuries that they had with with Candace and Allie being out, they got to deal with the – they had to deal with the break first for uh, FIBA play three-on-three, three, and then Olympic training camp is coming up pretty soon, so they're going to lose uh, a Stu, uh, Stu Dufall for that. They're going to lose Diamond to Shields for that. They might lose Kalia Copper for that. Um, and then that'll be – you know, the Olympics actually start – in mid-July, which is only a month away, um, July 10th, they play their last game before the break. So they got some time to make up some ground because every team is dealing with the same thing. Um, you've got players like Natasha Mack who are getting waived and then picked back up and waived and then picked back up because of the way the CBA is structured. You only have so much cap room and you can only carry so many players on the roster. So it's good 
One, that they got Candace back. And I can only hope that James Wade and the rest of the coaching staff felt that it was better to get her back healthy rather than bring her in um, before to try and help end the losing streak. Because that not only did they lose some tough, tough games, both of those games to Phoenix were games lost in the last five minutes or within yeah. the last two minutes, I should say. Um, they lost to the Sparks three times. So it's one, it's good that they got those players back. Two, it's good they're playing Indiana because Indiana is going to be the doing that of the league this season. It sucks because Pokey Chapman, I like Pokey. When she was here with Chicago, she was a straightforward coach and GM. But they, they're just not a well-put-together team. They get them again Saturday afternoon in Indiana, so that could and should be another win. That brings them to four and seven. And three games under 500 is manageable. But then they got Minnesota. Um after that, they've got Connecticut twice in Connecticut, and those are going to be difficult. And then New York in New York. So they're going on the road for seven straight, at least according to the schedule. <clears throat> Wait, sorry, I'm misreading. They got Minnesota, then they come back home. Then they've got four straight against New York, Connecticut, and Dallas. And five. And Dallas, uh, Dallas isn't whack anymore, and Connecticut's a title contender. So not only do they have to – even things out, they have to figure out what was going wrong during that losing streak. Because even even a player of the caliber of Candace Parker, you can't lose them for a prolonged period of time and just become dross. You still have to be not just competitive, you have to win a few of those games that they lost. So there's there's some soul searching still to be done. Right. Do, you, do you think that the pressure was, had, had built up? Any added pressure by the time of, of Wednesday or are they just still – I mean, you know, because we're going to end the discussion. I want to get your thoughts on the trade that they made because we haven't been on air since they did it with, with Neil and Evans. But, uh, you know, it seemed like that's the type of thing that would happen if under a, a more pressurized situation. It certainly seems that way. You know, I don't have James Wade's ear. I don't have any inside sources. But when you trade – your number eight pick for the number 13 plus a, plus a potential swap and a, and a second round pick for next year. You're giving up a lot to get less back. You know, why not pick Dana Evans at eight? She was available. Why not pick uh, Arella Garantes? She was available. If you wanted to, I know you want the players you want, right? But if you know what the situation is going to be, potentially, even with Candace being out for two, almost three weeks, you know, can you not carry Shyla? I don't think she's going to be on the Australia national team. And Dallas is going to have to deal with that. Well, Dallas waived her after they got her. So, yeah. It, I think the, the obviously the biggest loser in this is the players. It, it, it's tough to, to talk about what Chicago's lost and not think of the players first because, you know, like Natasha Mack is, is, is bouncing around. Shyla Hill got drafted, got all this hype, had to deal with uh, visa issues and COVID restrictions before she even came over, played two games, got traded, and got waived. And thus, now she's back on her way down uh, to the Southern Hemisphere. That's a 19-year-old that's a going through all that. Yeah. The most I had to worry about at 19 was, was picking my hours, you know, making sure that I had Fridays off on my college schedule. So 
that's that's a lot for anybody to deal with, especially rookies. Rookies in the WNBA are going through a lot of tough times right now. So I think that's the most important thing. And I talked on the last game that I was on, um, the post game, I asked Lexi Brown what it was like because she's a veteran, but she had to deal with the same thing. Mm-hmm. And she said point blank, they got to take a look at the CBA again. She's talking to her agent. She's talking to other players in the, in the Players Association. And I think that we're going to see that sooner rather than later. So uh, not to divert from the point about what uh, Chicago has, you know, Chicago's trade, because I think the trade does smack of some pressure and desperation to get a, a more ready player on the roster. But the reason that they had to make the trade, the underlying reason I think is the fact that there's not enough teams to carry players who are, or potential, potentially ready. There's a lot of if, – if it was the same situation for the NBA and it was at one point in the history, there's a lot of guys who we saw this year who wouldn't have gotten the, who wouldn't have gotten the sniff in the league. Mm. So uh, that I think that's going to come up as a talking point sooner rather than later. We're going to see exactly what Kathy Engelbert is made of in terms of business, and we might get some acrimony if um, – Sports labor history has taught us anything. The salad days are coming to an end for the W for the W and their fans. It's gonna, uh, you know, I keep saying this, man. The league is gonna become like every other league that makes money and pisses fans off. Yeah, that's that's that sounds pretty. Yeah, that sounds pretty rough, man. But I'm glad that, but see, that, that these things happen though. When you, I think, when when you treat players as disposable items, these things happen. They have to, they have to fight back on some sort of level. And I'm I'm glad that you went in that direction with the Neil, uh, with Charlotte Neil, because you know, when I heard of that in the trade, it it was very discouraging to me. It was very, you know. Uh, I just didn't like hearing that before. You know, a player of that, you know, like I said, you never would see that in the NBA. A player gets drafted in the top 10, gets released, gets traded by her team within a couple months of being there, not even months really of being with the team, and gets released by the team they're traded for. It's like, you know, that's, that's ridiculous to me. And you know, I wish her the best of luck. You know, but uh, it, like you say, they they have to strengthen themselves as a as a player organization in that WNBA. And you know, we've heard of things in the past that they've dealt with. You know, uh, lesser account, uh, you know, travel accommodations and things like all sorts of uh, you know the, the issues that they had in in their wobble, as opposed to uh, you know the the amenities that the men had. In Orlando, you know, was, they just get disrespected on the low too much, you know. So if they got to fight those things, you know, I'm, I'm definitely have their back, and I think that they uh, uh, they know how to fight injustices in, in, in that league. So those players do so, you know, have you know, give them hell if they. Have, uh, that's what I say if they if they have to. <laughs> I think will. it's coming sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's like it, it's gonna happen. They, the WNBA, uh, especially from a player's perspective, really put the world on a map of what they can do, tonight, especially when it comes to social justice issues. And 
the problem, and and they and it's, they already know what impact that could have, not just within the league, but within society as a whole. They're they're in the upward projection of what the true definition of social activism really is among sports leagues, and this is just another added layer to what that chapter really could look like when it comes to fighting for justice. They've been talking about this, and this for them to finally get their chance to actually get their seats at the table and really create the change that they want to see. I think what they were able to do in the, in the wobble really gave them the foundation and the confidence to where now they can take this even further into their own CBA. They can take this even further into their own league meetings and things of that sort. So that way they don't, they have better experiences and, and pretty much equal opportunities just like the other professional leagues do, especially in the NBA who have, been the big brother to the WNBA and are supposed to be supporting them and getting these equal rights in the first place. So it's about time. And I've been like, they're gonna, players are going to step out and talk about this even more and be more vocal about it because we're in that era where social justice platforms are being utilized in such a more vocal state, especially at these press conferences, especially through social media campaigns and things and things of that sort. Um, so it's it's bound to happen. I just I just can't wait to see what those what comes out of those negotiations and those discussions, because that's where you know the bread meets the butter. We got to figure out uh, how that works, but it's coming. It, it's coming. If if it hasn't already arrived, it's coming. Yeah, I like that. I might, I might have to title like that. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? You like the where the bread meets the butter. That's dope. But see, I, I was just about to say I might have to title this episode "Growing Pains," but now now I might have to give it that. So <laughs> I got a couple. A of, I got it's a punchy. couple. Of, yeah, I got a couple of options there, but uh, we'll we'll you'll see the title up on uh, YouTube and all that when I post it on the, there uh, at the end of the evening or so. But that should be it for now. Though we're gonna let it go. Uh, fellas, I appreciate you guys for jumping on and giving me a bit of your time. Um, you know, we'll uh, we'll leave you guys to that uh, this week and uh, see how the rest of these series play out and see uh, if the sky can continue to bounce back. But uh, next week we'll we'll be looking to come back with some more hot stuff. Like I said, uh, you know, bring bring uh, my man Landon on. Uh, hopefully Drew will come back and uh, offer his thoughts on some things. Try to branch out on some more, uh, maybe bring back some more Bulls talk. I've heard a couple of talking points uh, with the, about the Bulls recently that have been interesting. You know, Kobe White just had shoulder surgery yeah. uh, they talked about today. So I don't know, is that something that we maybe could look back on his performance this year in a new light, you know, if, if he's been dealing with, that shoulder type thing, but you know, it, I don't know. But uh, you know, it, it's some things going on and everything. We're getting closer, of course, to the uh, oh, oh, we got oh, yeah, we got a potential. Uh, we got a real cool guest. I'm not gonna mention that guest yet, but Chris helped on that, and uh, you know, we <laughs> have a pretty, yeah, we have another pretty. We, so we have a couple. We should have a couple guests actually next week. So we hopefully we'll do a couple shows next week. And uh, we'll see uh, how that goes. But, yeah, we got some good stuff coming up. Uh, we're, you know, steady working like the worker bees that we are. And, uh, you know, we are going to sting you with some good NBA and uh, other basketball talk 
as we keep going into this hot summer. And, uh, yeah, we're going to keep it hot in the meantime. Uh, we're going to keep it bouncing as well, and we hope you do as well. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, still, you know, keep it uh, keep keep it, keep it uh, careful out there. You know, everything's going to be open tomorrow here in the city and uh, everything. But uh, don't don't go out there acting a the fool, man. Just, you know, it's just <laughs> summer, summers are, are complicated enough around these parts, man. So. Just enjoy, try to enjoy yourself as best as you can, but uh, be mindful of yourself and those around you. You know, and uh, you know, and uh, let's let's try to be safe and and enjoy our reawakening back to uh, the outside life. So uh, uh, that's it for now, though. Oh, oh, speaking of which, I got to go over this list I saw you put up right quick, uh, Chris. Oh, your summer bowl. <laughs> Shouldn't put stuff on yeah. Twitter, man. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you shouldn't put stuff up on Twitter. But uh, your summer go. I, I'm not even gonna go. The only one that I I think I could rec, I could uh, I could rock with you on is seeing a Sox game in Kansas City. That would be pretty cool. If you if you down to do that, I actually may try to rock, try to rock with you on that one because I was planning. I looked to at it. Go to Kansas City myself last year. I was gonna try to sneak it in, uh, but you know, if things were just too uh, too bad, but you know, but yeah, I, it's yeah. like every year that I see the Sox play live, I see them play Kansas City at some point. So uh, instead of doing that here in Chicago, might as well do it in in KC, and and I, I want to go, I want to visit the Negro Leagues Museum too. So exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's over Labor Day weekend is the next real chance that they got on on a non-work day. So that might be the way. We might have to, yeah, we might have to talk about that, man. But uh, the other stuff, yeah, the other stuff, you, I have to let you, let you rock with those. Hey, hey. I don't, we, I don't we watch do the cleanup. We got to do the cleanup at Arthur Ashe Park, man. That's that's the park oh, that I came oh. up. I don't know why I, that, I was reading that like a pull-up. I don't know why I see. I, I see. I see it now. I say clean up. I thought you would say you, you want to do a pull up at at Arthur Ashe Park. I mean, we could do that after the clean up. You know, <laughs> the, they still got they still got the barbecue. Well, I would. Yeah, I would have to get to down to two thirty first, like you say. But I, that's going to take me a lot longer to do than it, than it will. <laughs> but maybe I could do a pull up at two thirty. But but no, the clean up. <laughs> The cleanup at Arthur Ashe Park, I can rock with that too. So uh, now that I'm reading it right, I can I can definitely rock with that. But yeah, that 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 you want to follow Chris and follow his summer goals. You know, uh, tell, tell him how to follow you, Chris. Keep me on task at Quandary Kitten. That's K W A N D A R Y Kitten on Twitter. K W A N D A R Y Kitten. And Josh. What about you, you, he, Josh is, is you know, he, his, he's a man of his studies right now at the ball, but he, I'm sure he's gonna be out doing some wild stuff this summer as well. <laughs> He'll be letting um, off some steam. Yeah, we'll, we'll see about that, man. We'll see, but yeah, for sure, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Josh M Hicks Media. A lot of big stuff coming your way. Um, new gigs are coming up. I'm the assistant. Uh, sports editor now for DePaul student newspaper at the DePaulia. Let's so, go! Uh, bring, it up. 
Give it up. Things coming your way this summer. I'll be working all summer with that on top of, you know, what we do here normally. So I'll be I'll be pretty busy, pretty active for sure still. And every once in a while I'll have some fun out there. But um but for sure, grind never stops. You know, and y'all already know how that goes. So we're gonna keep doing our thing, keep grinding even in this off season and uh get prepared for, you know. 24-7 cycle. So let's get it. Yes, indeed. To that degree, uh, to uh, follow uh, War Media and uh, all major platforms, uh, yeah, uh, including uh, uh, YouTube and uh, Anchor, uh, War on Anchor, our podcast platform. So keep uh, watching out for everything that we do and listening, and we appreciate all the support and everything. Uh, follow me on Means Matters, under Means Matters on Twitter, K Mean on IG. And um, yeah, we're going to uh, keep bringing good things to life and uh, keep, uh, you know, doing. I think, as, like I said, as we get out here and, and, and everything, we, I think we're going to be doing all, all doing our part to help uh, illuminate things that are going out uh, here in Chicago and abroad. So. You know, keep rocking with us and uh, show us love and we'll show it right back. And uh, in the meantime, we keep bouncing.